Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Future Projection. This is our 25th episode. I am Carlos Palazzo, as always, joined by Ben Badler. We are recording this on a Thursday morning here. Uh, and I think, Ben, this is our fifth straight week where we've recorded a podcast. We're getting into a little bit of a groove here. How, how's it going, man? And how do you feel about our little hitting streak? I know. I feel like Cal Ripken here, man. It's <laughs> the, the Iron Man of podcast, at least for us. So I know we had a little lull in there um, at the end of last year, taking a little time off. But yeah, it's, uh, and it, it's good too, because it just feels like everything is getting so much so much closer, like college baseball is almost here. Juco ball is here. I was watching some Cam Collier at bats again today. That ball that he hit like at his ankles, oppo home run. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel so like everyone in our staff has just basically been watching a ton of Cam Collier video at this point. And it's been great. I mean, his his on base numbers are pretty loud. Obviously, home ring in his first game was exciting. He's got two homers. And yeah, like you said, college baseball season is around the corner. I'm going to head down to Florida next week to see um, PBR's Florida preseason classic, a really good tournament that has a bunch of high school teams, including IMG Academy, which, I mean, it's becoming the norm, but that team is really littered with, with um, draft prospects. A couple of our first team All-Americans are on that team. I think three total All-Americans on that team between Jackson Ferris, Elijah Green, and Brady Neal. And there are still others that are interesting from a draft perspective. And then really, I'm just really excited for college baseball specifically because, I mean, not that I'm not excited to see these high school players, but the bulk of my summer is spent watching the high school guys. And for months and months now, I've been talking about the college players and looking at video of the college players and wondering how this college class is going to break down. Um, And so I'll also be seeing... Florida State against James Madison, which I I feel like is going to be a pretty heavy crowd uh, from a scouting perspective, just because you're getting Chase DeLauder, who is probably the biggest up arrow college bat or maybe even college player in the class, given his summer with two of the the healthy and really reliable college starting pitchers in the class. So it should be a really good series just in general, really good from a draft perspective. Uh, and I'm just itching to kind of hop on a plane and get down there and watch some baseball. So we're very close now. Yeah, man. IMG too as underclassmen. I mean, Tayshawn Walton, Andre Madugno, they're just they're just loaded, man. Max Calfer behind the plate for 2023. But yeah, that sounds that's a that seems just like a loaded tournament to mm-hmm. to start off the year. Yeah, it, it really like every year I kind of look around what's what's going on in the country. What do I need to hit? What are the 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 areas that would be the most kind of bang for your buck from a travel perspective? Because obviously we don't have an infinite travel budget. So you want to be smart about where you're going. You want to make sure you're getting a lot of value. And, and really the, this preseason event that the PBR has put on in Florida seems to be kind of the go to for me it really makes the first week easy because you get down there, you get updated. It looks at a lot of really premium high school players. This year, the field is is quite large. 
I think the first year that I went down to see this tournament, it was Mason Denneberg, Carter Stewart. Um, I think Elijah Cabell was on the TNXL Academy team. Uh, a lot of really good arms in that event. And that was a, a good one. I mean, Carter Stewart and Mason Denneberg were obviously first rounders in that draft class, I think 2018. Um, and every year it seems like the, the tournament has lived up to, to that kind of level and, and maybe gotten better. We've had some junior colleges involved um, in the past as well. So it really just makes it easy for me from a scheduling standpoint. And then after week one, I guess it gets a little dicey in terms of the options really kind of blow up for you, depending on where you're at in the country. But um, yeah, I can't wait. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to be watching a lot of baseball online and, um, I would recommend it for you guys too. I know I talked about this last year, but you really can watch a lot of college baseball if you just have like an ESPN plus subscription um, and kind of pairing that with whatever you get your cable or TV through. Like I use YouTube TV and basically just record every college baseball game with the unlimited DVR and pretty much have access to most of the big conferences and teams throughout the season. It's awesome. I know people are probably like, stressing about how the lockout is happening like if we're going to get uh, major league baseball on time if you're going to be able to watch like normal spring training for people who are really into spring training for whatever reason but if you are not into college baseball and the assumption if you're listening to this podcast that you are in some capacity but pick a team i mean pick a local team that maybe you haven't watched as much as you would have liked to, or, or maybe pick it if you're not close to a college team, like just pick a team that interests you, whether it's like a few players you want to see or some uniforms you think are cool, like get into the college baseball game. Cause it's a lot of fun. It's a different style of game than the major league, the major leagues. Um, but it, it's always competitive, especially if you're watching some of these bigger conferences, the, the broadcast quality has gotten really good in the sport. I mean, it's, it's easy to, watch games now and think you're watching a major league quality broadcast. Um, so definitely get into it. If you haven't yet, there, there are plenty of opportunities to watch a lot of baseball and a lot of these guys are going to be playing for your favorite team in a, a few years. So definitely get into it. I think especially, I think especially on a Friday night too, because then you can really, you know, like you can just go through our draft board and pick out, all right, who, who's the top starter that I want to see that way you're guaranteed to see you know, if somebody's going to go pretty much in the first couple rounds maybe uh, don't hunt for college starters this year maybe that's maybe that's not the that demographic is. you want <laughs> yeah yeah read the actually read the report to make sure you're like i wouldn't count on seeing a you know a reggie crawford start this year that's not uh <laughs> that's not in the cards there's a lot of injuries like yeah. we talked about but actually yeah, kind I mean, of, especially with the whole, we, yeah. we have talked about it but kind of a follow-up to that conversation today actually we just posted a story kind of breaking down the state of the college pitching class. And when you look at the actual numbers, um, like the average innings pitch and the average starts for top 100 college starters compared to previous draft classes, it looks really bad. Um, the average innings and the average starts for the group is quite a bit lower than every other draft class going back to 2017 for that same pool of preseason top 100 talent. Um, there are fewer players on average than those other classes. Um, the highest ranked college pitcher in our class is outside of the top 10. All of those other classes, even 2019, which was really panned as one of the worst college pitching classes we've ever seen, uh, had a pitcher rank in the top 10. Now it was Graham Stinson, and he didn't wind up ranking there at the end of the day, but you still had Nick Lodolo on draft day inside the top 10. He was the only college pitcher. This year right now, I don't, I don't know any college pitcher in the class who 
feels like a comfortable pick to be in the top 10. And if you're listening to this now, we also probably have a mock draft on the site or there will be our first kind of initial mock draft. And we don't have a college pitcher in the top 10. It takes a while to get to them. And those guys disappear quickly, the ones that are healthy. So, I mean, we've talked about it before. I don't know how much you want to talk about that again today. But if, if you do want more details and kind of the numbers and, and why the class is shaving up so poorly, because it's not just injuries. There are a lot of other factors uh, involving COVID, just playing time. Um, it doesn't look good. So if you're a team that needs college pitching, if you want to pull an angels draft or, or you just feel really down about the state of your arms and maybe you're a team that's competitive and, and would like to get some arms in the system that can move quickly. Um, maybe this is not the, the best draft for you, but that is on the website. I'll link to it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, maybe, maybe pick yeah. out some hitters you want to watch this year instead. <laughs> <laughs> well, well then it's, it's, you know, like I, I just saw the, you know, the best tools went up for both college and high school players and MLB scouting departments vote on that. And it's like, like, I'm just looking at like every category and it's like, you know, fastball, you've got Blake Tidwell and Reggie Crawford and, you know, Peyton Paulette for breaking ball. And it's all right. Well, <laughs> all these, all these best tools winners are, are going to be on the shelf to, to start the season on the, on the college side. Yeah, it's it's a bummer if you if you like really impressive stuff because a lot like you I mean like you just said all of these best tools and I mean even even guys like Blake Tidwell I think when this voting was going on the assumption was that he was going to be healthy that news broke after the balloting came back although I don't know that it would have changed the results of the balloting either way I mean Reggie Crawford has been on the shelf for a while Connor Prelip has been on the shelf for a while and those guys still did pretty well in the best tools balloting. Um, yeah, again, the, the high school and college best tools, we'll link to the show notes. It's on the site. Now you can search for it, um, on your own if you'd like to, but I, I really love how we do our preseason all America teams and best tools balloting, um, because it's, it's industry driven. And, and I, I probably say this a lot, maybe you guys get sick of it, but I really love when we do our rankings and just our information that's industry driven, just because I feel like that adds more value for the reader. It's not just, kind of me trying to pick all these best tools or um, asking a few experts. It's like pulling the people who are really bearing down on this class and it's from a major league scouting perspective. So maybe it's not the best formula if you are strictly looking at like high school competition or, I mean, on the high school side, maybe it, it probably still works that way. But on the college side, there are certainly some players who are maybe not the best draft prospects, but are really impactful college players that will help a team get to a college world series. Um, but looking ahead at what these players are going to do in the future, it seems like a pretty good formula for us to do it this way. Um, we still got some pretty good feedback. I was a little concerned about how the lockout would affect feedback for this, but um, we still had about half the league submit um, ballots for preseason teams and best tools. Um, and there were some interesting ones. I don't know if you want to kind of go, tool by tool here, Ben, and dig into a, a little bit, but especially on the high school side, um, just the amount of votes and, and the people who are getting votes, I wouldn't say it was surprising, but I think it's telling in a few of these categories, but we can go through it however you want to, really. I, I mean, the guy who jumped out the most to me was Dylan Lesko, mm -hmm. a right-handed pitcher out of, you know, high school right-hander in Georgia, who's obviously the top pitcher on our, on our draft board right now. Um, 
and we talked about all the college pitching injuries and yeah, I mean, there's obviously, you know, risk with high school right-handed pitchers, but man, did he get a lot of love for a lot of different categories between fastball, uh, the off-speed stuff, the command. And then, I mean, we, you know, we do closest to the big leagues, closest to the majors and, you know, he, uh, you know, you have guys like Tamar Johnson and and some, you know, pretty advanced hitters in yeah. this class who I, I think get the most recognition and, and, you know, deservedly so, but Dylan Wesco won that category yeah. too. So, I mean, how, I mean, he just sounds pretty, pretty exciting combination mm-hmm. of, of stuff and polish and history, like track record with him of, of consistently performing well uh, especially when he goes up against some of these top guys in in the 2022 class um it it just seems like a really special combination of all those things with him yeah it's insane and i really like every time i dig into dylan lesko or talk with someone else about dylan lesko i i feel like i continue to get more and more impressed with him just because like, I don't know who the last high school pitching prospect that I've covered that that's been this good at this stage. I mean, he is probably the highest ranked high school right-hander at this stage uh, since, since the 2018 class. I know the 2018 class was really good um, just on high school pitching in general, but I believe that year I'd have to go back just to make sure. Maybe I'll do this just on the side of just kind of putting Lesko in perspective um, or in context with other high school pitchers, but I think Matthew Liberator was the highest ranked high school pitcher that we had. He was a left-hander in the 2018 class. Um, Kamar Rocker, Ethan Hankins were kind of in this range. Um, but I don't know that either of them were as jammed as high in the top 10 on our initial, like combined preseason list, but with let's go. Yeah. There's, there's no real red flags or question marks or concerns, that you have with him outside of just being a high school right-hander and, and the fear and risk associated with that demographic. I know um, I think Kyle was doing more research into this as well. Just looking at like, what is the time period for these high school right-handed pitchers? Like what is, what is a typical development timeline for them before they're like impactful arms on a major league staff. Um, And it's quite a long leash for them. But I think the fact that Lesko won or was top three in every pitching category in best tools and also won the closest to the majors category ahead of a guy like Termar Johnson, who, I mean, just going into this, my assumption was that Termar was going to win that category. I mean, a guy with his hit tool, his polish, like everyone talks about Termar as like the safest the safest hitter in the class, really high floor player. Like I really thought he was going to win that category pretty easily. And then he's second. It's, it's not bad to be second. I mean, but it, it, you just look at Dylan Lesko. And I mean, do you have any questions just knowing what you know about him, Ben, are there any concerns you have in his repertoire or his command or his delivery or his body? Like, it feels like to me, he just checks all those boxes and checks them off at an extremely high level. I don't know. I don't know yeah. what you're like. If, if you could create a pitching prospect, it, I would imagine it would look 
pretty close to what Dylan Lesko is. Yeah, it, it's a really unusual combination of stuff and polish, right? So, and and the thing it's 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 extremely unusual too because his best pitch is his changeup, right? Is that yeah. accurate to say? I think. He, I mean, they're probably he, he probably gets double plus grades on both his fastball and his changeup, but everyone is going to be talking about the changeup. Like that's one of the first things they talk about it. It's a legitimate 70 projection pitch. I mean, some people might think it, it's legitimately hitting on a 70. Now his, his feel for the pitch, his consistency with that pitch, the arm speed, the depth, the movement. I mean, we were, I think it was at, maybe it was at perfect game national. We were watching him. He tripled up on it to a right-handed batter and it looked just disgusting every time it, <laughs> Yeah, it's insane. He, he's gotten Zach Cranky comparisons uh, thrown out to me. I've heard people putting like Josh Beckett on him just in the sense of like the power and command that he has, that combination just being really rare for a high school pitcher. I mean, I I don't know what sort of specific comp I would throw on him, and and I don't know that I necessarily even would, but those are very loud on top of just all the stuff we've seen. And like you mentioned, his track record through high school, his track record um, in travel ball. He won Gatorade National Player of the Year as an underclassman, which is it just doesn't happen. Like, are we overthinking the demographic with Lesko? Should he just be way higher up? Or I mean, we have him top ten. We have him like six or seven on our board. It's not like we don't have him juice, but man, like, what do you want? What else do you want in a pitching prospect? I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, if like Elijah Green said, I'm going to go to college instead of getting drafted. And, you know, we knock him off the board. Yeah, then it makes sense to move some guys up. I mean, there's pretty good players, obviously, ahead of him. But, yeah, I mean, you he has so many things you would want or even beyond what you could want sometimes, like in, in the case of his changeup for a high school pitcher, because typically that's the last pitch for a high school pitcher or, or, you know, any, you know, seven, 17, 18 year old pitcher in, you know, in the States internationally that they're going to develop typically because you don't need to throw a changeup. I mean, he, I don't even need in high school, he probably doesn't even throw an off speed pitch. His fastball is so good. His fastball command is so good. He could just roll through lineups with that. So typically you don't see a high school pitcher with a changeup that good because they just mm -hmm. don't throw it that much it's usually fastball curveball or fastball slider or fastball mm -hmm. some sort of hybrid in between type yeah breaking ball and then they get into pro ball and and you know you're like you're looking for flashes of feel for a changeup typically at that age and lesko like you said is already earning plus to potential 70 grades on on his changeup you don't have to project all that much on that pitch it's 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 a now pitch you know if i were to nitpick him i mean it's tough right because he also got votes for best breaking ball too yeah. i mean what <laughs> is it i mean does it how, how does his breaking ball grade out right now like, i don't yeah. want to overlook it just because his changeup is so good or, or, or is that still kind of a work in progress for him yeah. what's the state of it right now i think if you do have a criticism that that might be the one that we kind of just stumble into and the criticism isn't even that like he doesn't have a plus breaking ball it's that he doesn't hit on it as consistently as teams would like like i've had plenty of people throw a plus on his breaking ball 
it's a high spin pitch. It has power. It has two plane break. Um, but I have talked with some people who are like, you know, sometimes the breaking ball isn't as sharp as consistently as we'd like to see it. It's not, it's certainly not a Jackson Job type breaking ball. Um, and if you look through all these categories, I mean, let's go one best fastball, one best fastball movement, one best changeup, one best command, um, was tied for second for best athlete, uh, one closest to the majors. And the only category he didn't win or was second or tied for second was best breaking ball. Um, scouting directors chose Tristan Smith and Brandon Barriera, um, two left-handed pitchers. Uh, for best breaking ball. And then Lesko is kind of tied with a bigger lump of pitchers for um, for third for that category. So pro- maybe that's your criticism. And, and even then the criticism is that you would like him to more consistently get to plus rather than we would need to see a jump in his breaking ball in order to even project it as flashing or even even see it flashing plus. So that's probably the one area where you're looking for him to take strides this year. But I mean, it's a, it's a super high spin pitch. I feel like he has good feel for it. Good command for the pitch. I don't know, man. It's just a pretty good overall package. Yeah. I think like typically if I hear, uh, I, I would rather have a young pitcher who is, whose best stuff is his fastball and his breaking ball and then have the changeup be the third pitch that needs more development rather than a, a, a young right-handed pitcher whose fastball changeup and, and the breaking ball needs work because I, I think the breaking ball is more of an innate feel pitch. Like I think you either have an innate ability to spin the ball or you don't. Uh, particularly more so with the curveball, um, you know, I think a slider you can power through to a certain extent. And obviously at that, at that age, when you're, you know, whether it's 16, 17, 18, you're, you're still refining the shape of the pitch, the consistency of the pitch, you might still be playing around with different grips, but I do think there's an innate feel for spin that some guys have, and some guys don't. Whereas with the changeup, like we were just talking about, it's not a pitch that a lot of young, you know, 17, 18 year old pitchers have really focused on much. Uh, and I think that is, you know, it's definitely a feel pitch as well, but I, I think there's, you, you can, you can, it's, I think it's more common to see a pitcher go from having a below average changeup in high school to having an average to, or, or maybe not even having one in high school to having a changeup that, you know, in pro ball turns into an average or even plus or, or sometimes better pitch where I don't think you're typically going to see a high school pitcher go from having, you know, but, you know, certainly by the time his draft year comes to having, um, you know, a below average breaking ball where he really lacks feel for spin to all of a sudden in pro ball. Now he's throwing a plus curveball. Like that doesn't happen too much. So I, I say that generally speaking, that's, that's the type of, uh, shape to a, a profile that I would prefer from uh, a right-handed pitcher that age. But like you said, it, it's not like Dylan Lesko's breaking. Like, it's not like he can't throw a breaking ball. It's not really the issue with him. He's just, all right, fastball changeup is his bread and butter. And then he has 
that breaking ball in there. He has that feel for for spin. It's it's just not the same consistency right now. It sounds like compared to you know his changeup or, or mm-hmm. his ability to obviously command his fastball. Yeah, the the pitcher that that was kind of reminding me of when you're talking about being a little bit more concerned about fastball changeup dominant high school right-handers is Jared Kelly. I feel like the questions about his breaking ball at the same time were more significant than Dylan Lesko. Like people were hoping that he would get to an above average breaking ball. And he did have a fastball that was up into the upper nineties, uh, really good command at the time, really consistent changeup. He was definitely a fastball changeup type um, that people had real questions about his feel for spin. Like you were saying, I haven't gotten in anyone who, who questions Lesko's feel for spin. Um, so I'm a little less concerned about just that profile there. I, I wouldn't ever put that tag on Lesko. Um, but why do you think it is that, or, or why do you think you are more concerned about pitchers who lack the breaking ball versus pitchers who lack the changeup? And is it, specific to right-handers or is it just pitchers in general for you like do you think teams are just better at developing change-ups or it's easier to develop an outpitch change-up than a potential plus or outpitch breaking ball is it just as simple as that or is it just like track record of guys with that profile that haven't really panned out yeah i mean i think a combination of yeah just track record uh history and i i just think that the you know, the, the curveball, the slider are, are different pitches, but just a, a breaking ball in general, I, I think some, you know, I, I think it comes down a lot of times to just an innate feel for spin. And I'm not saying you have to have it, you know, when you're like 14, 15 years old, but, um, you know, it, it generally by the time you're done with high school, I think a lot of times you can see if a player has that, innate field just to spin a breaking ball now they might you know get around the ball a lot and the shape of the pitch is not great yet um or the consistency is not there they, they maybe haven't found the right pitch grip to work with yet but i i think there is just a natural feel for spin on on that breaking ball that some players have and some guys don't and I don't think it's hard or excuse me I don't think it's easy to uh to teach obviously we've seen some uh substances involved that <laughs> seem to uh help increase that spin rate for for some guys so that is obviously a a confounding variable <laughs> in in this but with the changeup, it's like I was saying, it, it's not a pitch that you come up throwing a lot, typically as a as a high school pitcher or, or as an international pitcher coming out of the Dominican Republic or or Venezuela. And I, I think a lot of times you can you know toy around with with different grips, get a better feel for for that pitch for for how you should throw it. Um, and and I think you can see guys make bigger jumps from you know when they're 18 19 to to later on in their careers with their changeup more so than you're going to see um with the breaking ball and you know for for lefties that with the changeup i mean like you look at our college best changeups you know best tools winners it's, it's a lot of lefties <laughs> on there so you know you're you're facing a lot of right-handed batters you know i think you could probably just get away with a little bit less fastball velocity anyway so if if you have 
a good changeup. I think it's a little bit different there. I mean, obviously the same principles of having that innate feel for a spin is still true, but just you're facing so many right-handed batters that, you know, having a, having a good changeup helps offset it. Now I, I do think if you have a, you know, a 70, a true 70 changeup, which is hard to you know really find in a young, you know, a, a, a young pitcher. Uh, I don't know how many, I, I doubt there are many pitching prospects just in our prospect handbook in, in the minor leagues who we have a 70 changeup on right now, certainly for present grade, but, but even for future projected grade. Um, oh, you, you could have gotten the podcast title and they're so easily been, you really fumbled the bag there. The, <laughs> that was, uh, that was, that was sloppy. That was sloppy oh, work by me. I mean, I'm actually um, going to pull up our tools and see like which in the prospect handbook we have that maybe stand out, but yeah. As but if you have a 70 changeup. Yeah. If you do have, if you have a 70 changeup, I think that is, that, that is different than just having a, you know, a, an average or, you know, a 60 or 55 changeup that can real if you have a legitimate changeup, that's just out like well above average outstanding pitch that can really neutralize both lefties and righties mm-hmm. that can change some things, especially if you have the kind of command, <laughs> you know, that we see from a pitcher like Dylan Lesko. So um, yeah, just that general shape of a profile is, is one I would prefer with that, you know, the fastball breaking ball and then the changeup developing later on rather than rather than the the having to hope, like you said, in the case of Jared Kelly, <laughs> that the breaking ball is able to to develop later. Yeah, and this class seems unique. I'm a sucker for changeups, and it seems like a really good class if you do like that pitch, because in addition to Lesko, our other top right-handed pitcher, Brock Porter. He also has an outstanding changeup. Lesko and Porter mm-hmm. were the only two pitchers on the high school list who even got votes for that category. And Porter came second to Lesko. But I have talked with people who think that Porter's changeup is better than Lesko's. And I think most of that is, is derived from the fact that Porter's velocity separation between his fastball and changeup is a little bit greater. It's a little wider. The pitch has exceptional depth and fading movement like the tumble of both these pitches are really good but i think the velo gap makes that depth just a little bit more impressive for porter both throw it with really good arm speed and then wisenhunt who you mentioned on the college side like he is one of the uh, i don't i would want to go through the pitchers and see just how often changeups are thrown but you mentioned it for high school players it's rare for amateurs to throw that pitch consistently i feel like Maybe that's even especially the case in college because you often will have a pitcher that has a really good fastball, a really good breaking ball. And a lot of the time, the college coaches are are calling a game from the bullpen. And when you have a breaking ball, like just look at Kamar Rocker, look at his pitch usage throughout his career. Like there's, I mean, from a competitive standpoint, there's really no reason to go away from that breaking ball when you basically dismantled an entire Duke team with that pitch exclusively. Like I understand the incentive and the desire to not call a changeup, even when maybe throwing more changeups in a game could be beneficial for a player's development. If you're sitting there with a plus or double plus fastball and breaking ball, I wouldn't want to throw a changeup if I knew that was my worst pitch. And I knew that I could make batters look silly 
with a fastball and a breaking ball and could just rely on those to overwhelm college hitters. So I get it, but Wizen Hunt uses his changeup at a really high rate in general. And I think last year, just looking at some data, it was one of the best individual pitches in college baseball last year, just from a swing and miss perspective, when you're looking at pitches that are thrown with some, some consistency or more than like a 5% usage rate or so. So I really like that pitch. I love the fact that we have two power armed high school right-handers who have these changeups because in any given draft year, you, you have maybe more of a soft tossing command and pitchability guy who has a really good changeup in the high school class. But these are two like potential double plus changeups from our top two, maybe top two, just overall pitchers on the board in Lesko and Porter. And I did pull up our prospect handbook grades. And I think these are just for the top 10s that we have in here. Um, but we have, how, how many would you guess, how many changeups would you guess that we have 70 or better grades on in, in the prospect handbook? So this, top, so 300 players, maybe like 150, probably a little less pitchers or so, right? Um, but yeah, probably. I don't know with right-handers is always the like heaviest demographic, but I don't know how many of those are concentrated inside top tens. So now I'm kind of curious what the break, what the breakdown is position wise, but yeah, relatively. Did you say pitchers, all, all pitchers or just right-handed pitchers? Uh, this is all, but we can pretty, I mean, it's, it's yeah. a pretty small sample. So I can give you both after you say guess. Maybe three, three righties or three overall, three overall. Oh, you were one off overall. There are three righties with a 70 or better, and there's one left-hander with a 70 or better. So we have okay. Jackson Coar, Sixto Sanchez, and Ryan Pepio with 70s or better. Pepio has the lone 80-grade changeup in the handbook. And do you have a guess who the left-handed changeup is? He's one of my favorites from a recent draft class. Is that Wicks or? Yes, no. it is. Jordan Wicks. Is it? Okay. He's got a 70. And then we have two that are were 65s. Everyone else is a 60 or lower. DJ Hers and Grayson Rodriguez both have 65 graded changeups. So, um, yeah, you're right. Not not a ton of those grades being thrown around. Um, and I'm curious where Lesko and uh, Porter, excuse me, where those grades are going to kind of end up at the end of this draft process when we put on projected future grades for these guys in the class. I imagine they both have a chance to wind up with seventies beside that pitch. So, yeah. How, I mean, how does he stack up compare? Like I'm thinking of our top high school pitchers from recent drafts, obviously Joe, mm -hmm. Andrew painter, first round pick and was yeah. kind of the man coming into it that year. Mm -hmm. uh, Mick Abel also with the Phillies the year before, how does he stack up to those guys in terms of both polish and, mm -hmm. and the stuff too. This is Lesko. Yeah. Lesko. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think he certainly is ahead of where Job was at this time last year. Job was, I think, near the back of the first round range entering the season, and he really jumped forward after he took steps in his command and added a changeup that got plus grades. I mean, I think there were some questions about like his track record as a pitcher, how refined was he? He was very athletic. He had a good arm speed. He had a fastball with plus velocity, and obviously he had that just inherent feel for spinning and an outrageous breaking ball. But I think teams wanted more, um, more of an understanding of really what kind of a, a pitcher he was. And it turned out to be really good. Um, I think Lesko's stuff is more explosive than painter. 
Um, the command seems similar. People really liked Andrew Painter's command. I just feel like across the board, Lesko's stuff is maybe a tick better in terms of power to his arsenal. Um, Painter did throw multiple breaking balls, but I don't think either. I think both are in like a similar range or Lesko's breaking ball is a bit better. Nick Abel, relative to that draft class, I'm trying to see here. Was Abel 2020? Yeah, yeah, he was the pandemic draft yeah. class. He didn't rank as high, but you had a lot of college players in that class ahead of him. You had a few college pitchers. I think I'd still take Lesko again. The track record, like Mick Abel had a really good frame, really good changeup. Mick Abel checked a lot of the boxes. I remember speaking pretty similarly that we're talking about Lesko here with Mick Abel, but I don't think the just his track record in terms of performance. Um, and, and now I'm kind of wondering like how loud, certainly didn't have the, the changeup as loud as Lesko. So again, I would probably give Lesko the edge in terms of like impactful stuff. The 2019 class, I'm just kind of looking through our top pitchers there. Quinn Priester, um, that would have been Jack Leiter's class. Daniel Espino. Like Daniel Espino had a really powerful fastball. There were questions of the arm action. There were questions of like um, his command wasn't close to Lesko's at the time. So I'd go back to 2018 still. That year we had, it was Ryan Weathers, uh, Cole Wynn, Matthew Libertor. I mean, it probably would be one of these guys, just given how that class was talked about. But I think you could look at every pitcher in that class, whether it's Kumar, like his fastball never really played like the velocity you would have expected it to. Ethan Hankins, um, arm action questions that Lesko doesn't have. Uh, Liberator, the, the impactful, the stuff was not quite as loud during the summer as Lesko. Um, I mean, 2017, maybe it's just Hunter Green. Hunter Green is the highest drafted high school right-hander in quite a while. Actually, I don't think we, we've still never had a high school right-hander go 1-1. Um, Hunter Green came as close as you can go without getting there, obviously, at two to the Reds. So I don't, I don't really know who, who the last pitcher would be. I feel like it has a chance to go back quite a bit, given how I'm talking through these players in my head. Yeah, just the, the polish seems so especially for a guy with that level of stuff too. Cause I'm sure there's some, you know, somebody who's, you know, maybe deeper down the board who can really spot up his, you know, 88 mile an hour fastball. Right. Like, yeah. Like Max Radic, yeah. who, who's on the best tools list for colleges here. When he was in high school, everyone loved his command and feel for pitching, but the stuff was not even close to what Lesko's throwing. And it's like Lesko has that sort of command and polish and arm action delivery um, on top of this stuff. So yeah. It's Is that impressive. who you have the Orioles taking one one in your mock now? <laughs> no, going, I don't going think high so. school right hander. I mean, as we were doing the mock though, I was just in my head, like we say all these glowing things about Lesko. We always get worried about the demographic falling down the board, but at what point is the talent just too good that you just kind of ignore you take on that risk because the upside is tremendous? Like this is a guy who legitimately could be a number one starter. He has all the tools and all the stuff to do that. Um, again, it's a really good hitting class this year too. So I would be surprised if he went one, one, or honestly, maybe even in the top two or three, I guess I can't really be surprised if he goes through top three, given where Joe did last year, but yeah, it'll be very, I mean, it worked out for the Braves when they took Ian Anderson yeah. third overall too. It did. It can pan out. We don't always have to be afraid of high school pitchers. 
Yeah, I mean, the, and, but, you know, so I think, you know, this is the risk is in, you know, you, you named a bunch of those other guys, too. I'm not, not mm-hmm. talking about Abel and, mm-hmm. you know, Painter and, and Joe, but it's, you know, a little too soon for them. But, mm-hmm. you know, some of those other arms, we you know, high school right-handers we named going in the first round yeah. or, uh, you know, being those top high school right-handers off the board where, all right, well, then they get into pro ball and, you know, whether it's, you know, just, you know, the injury, the attrition rate that comes with some of them or, or they just more red flags pop up after mm-hmm. uh, just in terms of the the future projection or, or the present stuff. Uh, there you go. Much you know, better that time, Ben. Delivery, you know, things like that, that, you know, when you get into pro ball, um, it, it gets, it gets picked apart a little bit more. Yeah. And at, at the same time, our, uh, our top pitching prospect in, in baseball is a high school right-hander. So sometimes it works out too, but you're definitely right. There are a lot of, you could, you could cite a lot of instances if you wanted to just reaffirm the, the risk of this profile it wouldn't, it would not be hard at all. Um, but yeah, were there any other best tools categories that jumped out to you or players you wanted to dive into? Um, this can just be a Dylan Lesko podcast if you want, but there are some other players here we could get into as well. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Were there other pitchers? Like, I don't want to just talk about <laughs> Dylan. Oh, I kind of do. But, um, you know, I, I think for breaking ball was, was interesting just because so, I mean, we list other players who get votes for that category. And that, that seemed like, like you said, change up. There were two guys, right? Maybe it's because Dylan Lesko and Brock Porter's change up are so good yeah. <laughs> that that just, you know, they just separated themselves from the pack so much. I think but that's there was the case. a, yeah, but there, there was a pretty diverse mix of players mm-hmm. who were in that mix for, for best breaking ball too, on, at least on the high school side. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was, I remember having a conversation with a, with a scout a few weeks ago. Um, we were talking about best tools and I was like, who has the best breaking ball in the high school class? Cause I was just trying to think of who, who I thought that would be. And I didn't have an obvious answer. I think this is just a year where you don't have a Jackson Job or a Carter Stewart breaking ball. And so the pool is much more mixed in terms of the results we get back. Like we list eight players here for best breaking ball. Um, and it's easier to tie in a best tool category than for like a preseason All-American spot. And so I'm not going to try and, and pick the winners of a tie. I just want to list all the players and, and give them credit because they got the same amount of votes. Um, so they're all out there. I mean, Tristan Smith, Brandon Barriera, Caden Dana, Andrew Dukanich, uh, Walter Ford, Dylan Lesko, Jacob Miller, Jaden Newt are all the players um, who got enough votes to be top three in this category. So, I mean, just that, sort, just looking at the results of the voting for this category just makes me think we, we have a lot of guys who have really good breaking balls, but there's no one who's a separator um and your who you think has the best breaking ball in the in the class is probably dependent on the looks that you got because a lot of these players showed flashes of a really good breaking ball at some events and at other events it wasn't quite as crisp or it didn't miss as many bats um it's not surprising to me that tristan smith won this category because I think all the outings I saw him at, he was pretty reliant on this pitch and it was quite good every single time. Like at perfect game national, I think he was almost exclusively fastball curveball, and his feel for landing that breaking ball 
backdooring it to right-handed batters, using it against left-handed batters, using it uh, ahead in counts, using it in, in chase pitch uh, or chase counts when he when he was ahead. Um, I mean, he used it as consistently as as pitchers would use their fastball. And it also had pretty impressive power, pretty impressive shape. So that one, it's not shocking to me, but I also don't think this is a year where you just have that kind of no-brainer obvious, oh, this is clearly the best breaking ball in the class on the high school side. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, I saw, yeah, Caden Dana, Jacob Miller, um, two guys who I, I really like their their breaking balls, uh, you know, just tight spin, good rotation, and, and really good shape and depth to miss a lot of bats. It's not the same power to their stuff. Not that they're, I mean, I think they're both up to like 94 or so, but, um, you know, not like they're soft tossers by any means, but really I think both of those, both those guys have a chance to miss a ton of bats with those breaking balls. And then like deeper down the list too, you have like, you know, Austin Henry is a guy where I don't know that it's a, a refined breaking ball at this mm -hmm. point. Um, but just as far as like the raw spin, um, mm -hmm. I mean, it's, you know, you, you can see a, a ton of upside with that, with that pitch with, mm -hmm. you know, spin rates north of, you know, 3000 RPM, which, you know, just the raw spin is, is not everything. But again, when we talk about that innate feel for mm -hmm. spinning a breaking ball, he, he definitely has that, uh, you know, right-hander out of, uh, you know, up in, up in South Dakota. Yeah, South Dakota has had quite a run of, of solid high school prospects here the last few years, and I, I'm glad you brought up Henry. I think, actually, when I was watching Henry at Area Code Games, I, I really thought back to Carter Stewart's breaking ball because the spin rate, I mean, his spin rate is, is solidly in the range that Stewart was in. I think the shape of the pitch was um, similar to me in my mind, thinking back to Carter Stewart. I, I don't think he has the feel to land that pitch like Stewart did. It was kind of scary how easily... Carter could land such a such a heavy moving breaking ball four strikes and it seemed like he really knew how to move that pitch around the zone and, and bury it just below the zone depending on the situation I didn't think Henry had quite that feel but I also think I was a little surprised to not see him get get more votes in this category and the other name that I was a little bit surprised that I didn't see more votes was Noah Schultz just because his is a really high spin breaking ball as well um, and I do wonder too, if maybe there is, uh, if what was holding more teams back from voting for him was just the lack of power that's on that pitch now, because you really don't see a ton of really effective breaking balls at the next level in that mid seventies range, but I can easily see him adding more strength and power to his overall game. Um, and, and just the natural feel for spin and the shape that that pitch has now, it wouldn't surprise me if it, it developed into a plus breaking ball. I mean, I think it has a, a really good chance to be that, but. Yeah. I think he's a guy once, once you just add layer on some more strength and add some more power mm -hmm. to his game and, and refine the shape. Right. Cause like you, I think even if you're just looking at the pitch, like, is that a curveball or is that a slider mm -hmm. <laughs> that he's trying to trying to throw? So it's, it's a little bit in between, but it, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's a good pitch. And I think the projection for it is, is really strong once he again just gets some more calories and strength on him and starts yeah. to add some more even more power behind that pitch yeah absolutely
Um, let's see if there's any other ones here. I mean, I think we go to hitters now. And in some ways, the hitting, like it's kind of the usual suspects at most of the main categories. The one that I want to point out, though, that was interesting is best defensive outfielder. Um, we only have one player listed there. It's Drew Jones. And the reason we only have one player list there is because no one voted for a single other person for this category than Drew Jones. And wow. that's the first time this has ever happened since <laughs> I've been in charge of the best tools. Um, I think Pete Crow Armstrong was the best defensive center fielder that I had covered prior to Drew Jones. And it almost definitely is now just Drew Jones. Like everyone throws gold glove center field on him. Maybe it's easy because of his dad's pedigree at that position. But I mean, he checks all the boxes for an elite defensive athlete. He's got speed. He has a great first step. He's got instincts, route running ability, um, athleticism. And he also has a really impressive arm that one votes for, for best outfield arm on top of that. And that, that almost seems like just kind of a cherry on top for a defensive center fielder for me. So it's kind of crazy. There, there was really just no competition for Drew in this category. And, and it is worth mentioning that he was one of just three unanimous first team players between our high school and college preseason All-American teams. The other two were Termar Johnson, which is probably not a huge surprise. And then Jacob Berry, um, which Maybe not a huge surprise, but also probably a function of the position. Um, but yeah, I mean, outfield is maybe a little bit easier than other positions to be unanimous first teamer, just because there are going to be three votes for that category every time. But still, I mean, it's impressive whatever position you're at. Annie beat out Elijah Green for best athlete, too. Yeah. Which <laughs> Elijah Green not lacking for athleticism. Or, yeah, or I think for me personally, and, I probably would have gone green just because like the combination of like physicality, strength, speed. I mean, both have really impressive like uh, bloodlines, obviously. But yeah, Elijah Green is such a unique athlete that maybe I figured he was going to win that category. But it, it was very close, I will say, just knowing the vote tallies. It, it could have been swung by, you know, another vote or two pretty easily. So this one was tighter, but yeah. What, what do you think about Drew over Elijah Green for best athlete? You think that's, you think it's crazy? Where, where do you line up? Uh, I could see it. I think I, I probably, I think Elijah Green is just the most impressive, like just the combination of physicality and athleticism and, and the most unusual like mix of oh, that physicality and athleticism in baseball right we just don't have a lot of guys like like Luis Robert I think of so like he that's that's the kind of level of physicality and athleticism that he reminds me of and, and Elijah Green has you know a way better arm than <laughs> than Luis Robert does I think but otherwise I think the combination of size and athleticism and and the overall tool set and, and even offensively too where I mean, huge, huge raw power uh, to go with, you know, performance. I mean, he hit what, like four home runs for, for the USA 18U national team, seven right? I, I think, yeah. He hit and, a monster home run. One of the biggest home runs I've seen at area code game and area code games this year was a little more home run prone at the San Diego park. It was at than it usually is. I don't know if the field 
was like super hitter friendly, but either way, I've seen a couple of really monstrous home runs from Elijah green and, and he won that category pretty easily. I'd say. Yeah. There was one ball he was playing for that uh, Philly scout team and he just flicked his wrists. I think no stride ball lands like way, way up into the trees <laughs> in left field. And I was like, what, what is going on here? But um, you know, there's going to be some strikeouts that come with the power, but I mean, yeah, just that, that kind of physical athlete. And then you, you tie the power into it too. Uh, you know, the power, the speed, the arm strength, it's just like a tools and athleticism created in a lab. <laughs> Almost it's, it's, it's crazy how, how athletic and how, how tooled up he is. Now, obviously it, you know, comes with some swing and miss, but again, the power still, mm-hmm. still shows up in games too, which is, you know, yeah, why he's going to go so, so high in the draft uh, this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, best pure hitter. We only had two votes for that category as well. Uh, I was as confident in this category being Jamar Johnson's as any category that I've ever looked at for a draft high school or college he won very easily um it was not particularly close drew jones is the other player who got votes for this category and i think just kind of as we talk about drew jones it really makes sense to me why more and more people are are kind of steering towards him as the top player in the class because he does check a lot of these boxes he plays a premium position he has tools he has a case for I mean, outside of Tamar has a case for best beer hitter in the class. Like he just does a lot of things really well, has upside, present skills, future projection. Um, so it's hard just to to not like something about what he does because it seems like every everything that you want a baseball player to do on the field, he does at a very high level. Um, there are a few other pure hitters in this class that I think are quite good. Um, I'm a little surprised that we didn't see any votes for maybe I'm not surprised just because Tamar is so good that it's like, it's easy. You get to that category. You're like, well, okay, this is clearly Tamar. Um, but let's say if you were forced to do vote for like your top three for every category, I think Cole young would have a pretty good chance for this spot. I mean, he's just got a very good feel for the zone, good pitch recognition. The barrel stays through the zone for a long time. It's a really clean swing uses the whole field. He doesn't have the sort of impact that Termar has now or the sort of impact that I think Drew will grow into, but just does a lot of stuff really well in the box, really clean actions. Never seems like he's um, like overmatched in an at-bat, always seems pretty comfortable. I like his hitting actions a lot. Are there any sneaky pure hitting bats that you like in this class that, that we didn't see votes for? Yeah, well, I, I did think, you know, seeing Drew's, Drew Jones's name on there without Young was a little surprising to me too because I, yeah, I agree with everything you said about Cole Young. I think he's, I think he's just a just a really polished hitter, a very calm, balanced, relaxed hitter in the box, compact swing, uses a whole field, uh, makes a lot of contact, good approach. You know, nowhere near the power, obviously, of you know Termar Johnson or. Uh, or, or even Drew Jones, but um, I, yeah, I think he's he is one of the most hitterish players <laughs> in um, in this class. I'd probably put him right behind uh, Tarmar Johnson, but yeah, I don't know if there's another 
like a Nick York type player mm-hmm. who who would be uh, deeper down this list who mm-hmm. you know might might sneak up on people where you know maybe the, the tools aren't as like the supplementary tools aren't as loud, but then the more you see them, the more you you like them, and then the mm-hmm. more we certainly like them once they get into pro ball and and start doing it. One of the guys that maybe is in that category, I think probably is a little bit more toolsy um, is Jet Williams. I really like his bat as well. He he had one of the better area code performances of anyone. There's uh, quite a bit more strength and power in the frame last summer that, than I expected, just kind of just sizing him up as he was stepping to the plate for, for BP and for games. Um, has a lot of strength in his hands and his wrists. And looking at some video of him early this year as well, he has added a lot of strength um, to his frame and to his lower half, especially. I saw one home run that he hit that just looking at the body, I was like, wow, this this is pretty night and day to me compared to what he looked like physically. I've heard he's like at 190 pounds. Last summer, he was weighed at 160. So, I mean, that's a massive addition of strength. I don't know what he officially is listed at, but it seems pretty clear that he's added a lot of strength and he was already showing impressive impact as like an undersized shorter guy. So I think, I don't know how much you've seen of jet Williams, Ben, but he seems like straight up your alley for players that you liked with (laughs) compact short levers, really good ability to get the bat on the ball. Um, And also it's fun with him because he was one of two players that made a preseason All-American team at multiple positions. Um, we had him listed as a shortstop and an outfielder, and he actually got enough votes at both of those positions to make the third team as a middle infielder and an outfielder, which is not common. Um, it, it's common for players to get votes at both positions, but to make a team one of the, the first three teams at multiple positions is a little bit more rare. Uh, the other player who did that was Walter Ford, um, and I, I think this is more of the typical path to doing that, the two-way. Uh, he made it as a right-hander on the second team, then a corner infielder on the third team. But yeah, I would just I would just point to Jed as maybe a, a hit tool to not sleep on or one further down the board that I really like. I mean, like you said, it's easy to, and we both said it, it can be easy to sleep on a few of these really good hitters in a class with Tamar, Tamar Johnson, who's so obviously the best hitter in the group. Well, and his name is Jet, and he's a plus runner, which is good. I would be disappointed if if that was not fantastic. The I'm case. T- Texas. Texas has a, a way with baseball names, man. They always have fantastic ones. It's great. Yeah, I like to, and we have on our. I'm just looking at our draft board. We have Jet and Bolt right back to back. I like that pairing. Just we also just have a couple a, Brocks on names um, at the top as well. A couple what? We have a couple Brocks. We have Brock Jones oh, and Brock Porter. Um, there was one name that was coming up quite a bit as well. I think we have a number of, maybe it's young, just as a last name We have Carter and Cole young, trying to see if there are any cool names and Jace. Do we have multiple Jaces or Jace, Jace young? No. Oh yeah. You could. Yeah. Yeah. True. I wasn't (laughs) thinking that, but yeah, that makes sense. We're on a podcast after all that counts. Yeah. No, we'll have to do a, we'll have to do a best names uh list at some point i mean and and also don't sleep on kamar rocker that's a fantastic name he's in he's it's not a new name but still a good one 
All right. Do you want to pivot to some of the college best tools or are there any other the high school best tools you want to mention or dig into while we're still here? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go over some of these college guys, especially with the season about to get going. Yeah. I'm trying to see which category I, I was very curious to see who would win best hitter here, because unlike the high school list, this one, we have a lot of hitters up at the top of our board who have really good production um, good track records going back to their high school days. So I, I wasn't really sure who was going to win. I thought all of Jace Young, Jacob Berry, and Brooksley had a chance. Um, Brooksley wound up winning this category with Jacob Berry following in second. Both are hitters who have fantastic contact uh, ability. Jacob Berry, outstanding understanding of the zone, probably has the best hit and power combo of the group. He was second in best pure hitter, first in best power. Um, yeah, these, and, and they all do it in different ways. Like all these swings are, are quite a bit different. Their setups are quite a bit different. Their frames are quite a bit different, um, for all of them. I think Brooks leap, the, the pure hitter too, is, is a point that maybe we can talk about here because pure hitter versus best hitter. Those two things mean, mean very different things to me. Those two phrases, what comes to your mind when you think best pure hitter versus best hitter? Is there a distinction there for you? Yeah. It, it, I don't know if there's a distinction as much. I mean. For me, when I hear best hitter, I think of the all around offensive value you provide as a hitter. So average on base ability, power, impact zone recognition like pretty much every everything that's involved in being a hitter and when i when i hear best pure hitter i think bat to ball skills contact ability how much do you swing and miss basically hitting for average like i i i wouldn't i would almost discount power i guess for this category like it, it still matters obviously but when i think best pure hitter i i go to a lot of those like contact heavy and like bat to ball skill abilities if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think it leans more toward that, yeah, that pure bat to ball. At the same time, you know, the harder you hit the ball, the more productive you're going to be just, just in terms of, again, like hitting for average or, or getting on base, not even just the, the extra base power that comes with it. If, if you yeah, hit the ball you could, harder. You're... You could throw the ball, you could throw the bat at the ball extremely softly and make contact. Well, I'm not saying I could do this, but like theoretically, if you, if you I never, you yeah. <laughs> if you, if you always made contact, but didn't have any sort of bat speed or strength, you're probably still not hitting for, for much average, but your bat to ball skills would be quite, quite exceptional. So th there's definitely some, yeah. well, like Xavier, I think of like Xavier Edwards or Nick Madrigal. Yeah. I mean, like, I think Madrigal, like, yeah, I mean, he's, there's some similarities certainly. Mm -hmm there well like xavier and and xavier edwards you know if you're also just hitting the ball straight into the ground like all right well that really limits you know that that really limits you in that regard too so there's yeah there's got to be some some impact there like I, I wouldn't put a guy here where it's like all right well he just has tremendous pure bat to ball skills but like there's nothing behind it but he never gets on base <laughs> that, yeah yeah that makes sense Were, were, I guess, were, were you surprised Dylan Cruz did not get more love in I get either the hit or mm. or power categories, or is that maybe just a more a byproduct of their, you know, they're focused on the 
yeah on this upcoming class a little bit more i definitely think it's a function of him not being draft eligible this year right i mean he still got some votes in a lot of these categories so he was he was still in the minds of many people and he was i believe he was a first team member on the college team so it's not like he was completely dismissed because of that but i definitely think that teams steer towards current year players i mean another underclassman who did really well in this category is Enrique Bradfield and maybe it's easier to pick an underclassman when he's such an, an outlier runner like Bradfield is he won best runner and best defensive outfielder. I think it is tougher for an underclassman, even if you're as good a hitter as Cruz is, and he combines a lot of like contact ability, power, um, better zone recognition and play discipline than, than I was expecting him to have as a freshman in the sec with like loud exit velocity numbers I think it's probably easier for a player like that to miss out on the best tools when you also have a current year draft class full of really good hitters. Whereas like the, the 80 runner who's been an 80 runner since high school and is playing center field for Vanderbilt. Like, eh, I don't know. I guess I could go either way. I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth here. It doesn't shock me, but I think he certainly belongs in this conversation if we're talking about like a one, one candidate next year who put up pretty fantastic numbers as a freshman. Yeah. Well, we talk about underclassmen on the high school side and also a one, one candidate, <laughs> Max Clark, a mm -hmm. center fielder from Indiana. Yeah. I, if, if we do a best tools for the underclass in high school, he's getting it. He's getting <laughs> I mean, all of them. He was I mean, the only underclassman to make our high school preseason all America teams and the player who did that a year before? Was Walker was Jenkins Green. there too, or? Oh no, you're right. Yeah, Walker Jenkins. Yeah. So Walker Jenkins was third team, I believe. That's a good call. He was third team outfield, and Max Clark was second team outfield. Um, and Elijah Green, I believe, was also second team outfield. His going into his junior year, so pretty good company to be in. Yeah. What what tools yeah. would Max Clark win? I mean, all I, of them. I, I adore I adore him and uh, and Walker Jenkins, but. I mean, just, just as far as the pure hitting ability, he mm -hmm. I, he's the best pure hitter in that class. I mean, I saw him a ton over the summer. And, like, we have we have logged over, like, like, I think it's like 240 pitches from him, and he swung and missed twice. So a swinging strike percentage of less than 1%. Now, obviously, look, that's not yeah, – His contact rate the is same insane. As, yeah, it's not the same as facing you know guys in the SEC or or, or pro ball arms, but uh, look, he was 16 years old. Last this is a kid who's going into his high school junior year. It's it's remarkable. It, it's a really good swing and remarkable hand eye coordination, bat to ball skill, and it's there's power in there, but it's definitely more of a hit first approach you know, go with where the ball is pitched. You know, if it's outer third, he'll serve it to the opposite field. I think as he learns which pitches to turn on, you're going to start to see more power and show up in, in games later on in his career. But yeah, just the pure hitting ability stands out. And then, I mean, he, he might be the best defensive center fielder in the class too. I mean, he can, he can run. He's a, he's a, you know, plus or plus plus runner he can throw he's up to 93 i believe on the mound from Jesus. <laughs> the left side like he'd be a good pitching prospect but he's just so good that as a as a center fielder and, and as a hitter 
that I mean, you mentioned Pete Crow Armstrong. It's like, yeah, you know, I, I think I've said before him, him, Robert Hassel, they're both Vanderbilt commits. So is, so is Max Clark. It's it kind of like combines some of the best of, of both those guys with, you know, Pete Crow on, I'm not ready to say that he's at Pete Crow's level defensively, just because, like you said, the reviews on, on PCA's defense were just so, so special. But, um, you know, potential plus defender and plus or better hitter. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be. Do you think you he's know, he's the type of runner that's going to keep keep uh, getting those plus plus run grades as he develops? Or is he is he going to kind of get a little bigger and stronger and slow down? he's already pretty big and strong. Like yeah. he's like the, he's very ripped. Yeah. It's not like Jason Dominguez, but it's not like that kind of body, but it's, it's I mean, a little like a leaner like and longer. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, I mean, yeah. Like Dominguez is maybe five, 10. He's probably more five, nine and a little bit more, uh, not squatty, but much more of a bulky guy. Whereas, mm-hmm. Clark is, I wouldn't call him only like he, he's, he's just strong and athletic is, is what Clark is like. Uh, Dominguez is more of a mini Yohan Moncada kind of a, a body type. Clark is just strong. I think he, well, he looks like he could squat about a thousand pounds. I mean, he's, he's just incredibly strong athletic, but then the baseball skills are, are so polished for his age i mean yeah when that when that you know if the 2023 draft was tomorrow i mean we he'd, he'd be a candidate i think just like dylan cruz would be for going with that one one pick i mean you know clark much better than than i do at this point i feel like you have a decent feel for cruz if you had to pick right now clark or dylan cruz which one are you taking and also i feel like this is fitting because i, I do feel like around this time last year when we were starting the podcast, one of the first things we talked about was Elijah Green. Um, and so we're another year in, and there's another uh, really exciting underclass outfielder that we're hyping up here. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think my general preference would just be to lean toward the college hitter where we have more more track record with him, right, like th- that we have with Dylan Cruz. Um so I, I'd probably go with him, but man, it's, it's, it's close. Cause Clark, I mean, just the, the defensive value, the pure hitting ability. I, I really don't have very many questions about how that's going to translate at least early on in in pro ball, but you know, we still it, need to have him play his junior and senior <laughs> seasons of high school. Absolutely. So it is very hard to shake you know. too. just the looking at Cruz production at LSU a 362, 453, 663 line in the SEC, 18 homers, 16 doubles, 12 stolen bases. The feedback we're getting on his defense, his arm strength, his running ability as well, much better than I would have guessed coming out of high school, like significantly better. So I feel pretty good about that all-around package. Cruz had a, a hitting track record as an underclassman. I'd imagine similar to what we're talking about here with Max Clark. I think they're different hitters in, in how they go about it. At least it seems to me like they're different hitters based on how you talk about Clark um, with his mm-hmm. contact ability, like Cruz certainly swung and missed more. And I think part of the reason why he's at LSU is because he swung and missed more of the showcase circuit. I mean, he entered the year as 
I think like a top five kind of player in the high school class. So looking at like top 15, top 10, top 15 overall pick in the first round and, and kind of slumped during the summer and never really had the, the spring season that I think maybe the, the hype that he had generated as an underclassman, um, maybe you would have expected. And he wound up pulling out of the draft just before it. And it looks like that was a fantastic decision for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, both these guys are really exciting in, in different ways. And for me, Cruz has just really improved his profile overall. And I can't wait to see if he just kind of keeps doing that with an LSU team that should score just a, a ton of runs this year. I mean, we're, we've got Cruz and we've got Jacob Berry in the same lineup who was second in best pure hitter and also won best power. That's going to be a really fun team to watch if you like hitters. Yeah, their upcoming recruiting classes are pretty stacked too. <laughs> they're going to be going to be dangerous for for many years it looks like yeah if mikey romero gets to campus there i i would love to see what three years of or two I, th- I don't think he'd be a draft eligible sophomore but yeah imagining him going the cruise route like how people would be talking about him after getting stronger and performing in college is insane although i think someone should take him out of high school but we'll see yeah judd fabian getting a decent amount of Oh, yeah. well, too, just as far as the, the athleticism mm-hmm. and and the power and 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 defense too. I mean, <laughs> obviously, yep. uh, the same case know. for Judd Fabian. Like no one, no one seems to doubt his tools. Everyone likes the defense in center field. He's got really great power, good raw power that's shown up in games. He hit for a ton of home runs last year. He's a good runner. Got a good arm. Like he is in all these categories for supplemental tools, but you don't see him show up in the best hitting category. And really that's the big question with him. How much is he going to hit? How much, how much is he going to cut down on the strikeouts? But yeah, best athlete. Um, I think he probably got a few votes for the uh, running category as well. Um, He's not in our, our top four players here for that one, but second in best defensive outfitter after Bradfield. Um, whereas he had an arm, I think he was tied for second, um, with a number of players for best outfield arm. Like, yeah, all, all these tools, he still rates very, very highly. So if he hits this year, I mean, we'll see, but Judd can definitely do a lot of things yeah. in the baseball field very well. Were there other hitters too, who were at least from the college side who, you know, could be that. Oh, like Connor Norby, hmm. Tyler Black, maybe they're not super famous or hmm. don't have those other supplementary tools that, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, maybe they're the anti-Fabian where, all right, the, the bat is really the calling card here. Hmm. This is what's going to carry them. Everything else is maybe, you know, 45, 50-ish hmm. type, type I wonder, tools. But I wonder if that's Zach Nito, the shortstop at Campbell, who – hit over over 300 in the Cape last summer. He hit over 400 with Campbell um, during the spring last year. I think he could certainly be a guy who maybe is a little bit under the radar at this point. Um, and this is actually mentioned in the mock draft that went up today. Um, so maybe that's him because his, his performance is really impressive. And if we had a guy who had that sort of performance in an ACC or an SEC, feel like it would be a lot harder for him to fall under the radar. Now we, we still have him at 36 on our board now, 
Um, maybe that's the right range. Maybe it's a little bit light. I don't know. But if he keeps hitting like he does, like he did last year, it's hard for me not to see him shooting up into like solid first round range this year. Um, so he's probably one that I would point to. Um, there are some interesting college shortstops in this class that I feel like have a chance to move up the board. Jordan Sprinkle at UC Santa Barbara is one. Um, Eric Brown at Coastal Carolina is another really funky setup offensively. But again, if you look at look at all the numbers and his performance, it's pretty impressive. John Kasevich out on the West Coast is another one at Oregon. Like for him, I think if he elevates the ball a little bit more this year, you could see him move up boards. All three of those or all four of those players, I think, are interesting. Um, maybe for this like Norby designation you're throwing out there or like a Tyler Black or a Trey Sweeney type, um, maybe to look at. There are probably a few other like non-shortstops that could be interesting, but those are the names that I sort of go to initially at least. All right. What about uh, the only guy whose name jumped out from the best tools list uh, was Robert Moore. Mm -hmm. Just, I mean, I got to bring up my, my little, little hitter ish <laughs> high baseball IQ guys. And yeah. I mean, he certainly has fit that since mm -hmm. probably, probably since he was like started playing baseball and I <laughs> mean, growing up the son of a, a general manager in the, mm -hmm. in the game. So with a uh, Dayton Moore with, with Kansas city. So, mm -hmm. um, but he, I mean, he was getting some, you know, some votes even as a second baseman for, for best defensive infielder, which certainly caught my eye either in terms of, are there not any <laughs> shortstops that jump out or yeah. I mean, is, is Robert Moore that good defensively? Uh, I think it's probably at, both at second base. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's good instincts to pick up on that because typically it, it is just going to be all the shortstops in the class, but I mean, our top college shortstop is Brooks Lee. Uh, he didn't rank in the top three for best defensive infielder. He certainly ranks where he does because of his bat and offense. I mean, both of our top, all three of our top infielders are very bat over defense profiles. They're all guys who you could see moving to a corner infield position um, pretty easily. I would say Brooks probably has the best chance to stick at a middle infield position um, of all three. His hands are good, but the range is just a little bit light. Um, yeah, Carter Young and Jordan Sprinkle, both, both of those two seem to get really positive reviews about their defensive ability at shortstop. And those are the only two guys in front of Robert Moore. And part of me wonders if, if a team will give Robert Moore a chance to at least experiment with shortstop at the next level. I think most mm -hmm. people feel pretty good that he's a plus defensive second baseman, but they have a good defensive shortstop on that team. Um, who maybe it was just kind of easy to let Robert be a, a great defender at a position that he's comfortable with. But I mean, why not try him out at a, at shortstop at the next level, right? If you don't have someone who's obviously better than him, if he could stick there, maybe it's like an Aussie Albies situation where sure he can be a great defensive second baseman if you need him to be, but he also has maybe the tools to play shortstop. I don't know if the arm is probably a little bit light for, for most scouts for that but his actions are really good. His first step is really good. He turns the double play really well, which is maybe again, why you prefer to have him at second base. So I don't know. Um, but yeah, no one, no one says anything, but, but glowing reviews for his defensive ability at that position. And like you mentioned, it was a little more power and less hitterish than I was expecting him to be last year. Um, he hit 16 home runs, which was surprising. And not to say that he's like a huge swing and miss guy, 
because he does take a lot of walks. He still hit for a 283 average. Like it wasn't like he was a poor hitter. I was just surprised, I think, with the amount of power that he was able to get to as a five foot nine, 170 pound switch hitter. So that was kind of impressive. I'm curious what sort of hitter he will wind up being with a wood bat. I think I'd be surprised if he was getting to this sort of power production regularly, like, like whatever the 16 home runs in a college season translates to a pro season. I think I'd be a little surprised to see that with wood bat and pro ball, but I mean, we've seen small guys. I mean, Ozzy Albies again is a, a good example here. He's a little guy who has a ton of power. I, I still think I, I'd probably expect more of like average ish power from more, but who knows? I mean, we have him just on the periphery of being a top 10 prospect on the draft board. And I mean, the Royals picked ninth. Yes. This <laughs> he, was heavily I mean, discussed in the mock draft. And I think it's going to be a fascinating storyline because on talent, he certainly fits in that range. And like, I mentioned this in the mock, I, I won't spoil where people went, but like, what is, what is the conversation like if, if he's on the board there and he goes within like two or three picks of the Royals, like what's the dinner conversation between Robert and Dayton when he's like, yeah, daddy didn't pick me. <laughs> oh, if he goes like 11 to yeah, the Mets. Exactly. Like, 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 what is that? Like, is that, is that awkward? Would Robert even want to be playing for the team that his dad is like running? I don't know how, how like that relationship is and what, what the feeling would be, but it seems to be, I wouldn't want to be put in that position on, on for either of them, but I mean, it's certainly in the realm of possibility that we could have Dayton picking his son as the first round pick. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously not nepotism involved in, in this pick, like we said, but like, is. that's why I wouldn't want to be involved because even though like right. no one talent, he fits there, there are going to be people who are like, Oh, you picked your son first round. Like what a terrible pick. Like that will be said regardless of how Robert performs this year. I think if, if that winds up happening, don't you think, or am I being too like pessimistic here? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's probably some segment of people who will look at it on a surface level and think that to some extent, um, I, yeah, I mean, I just like, if you're, if you're the Royals, I mean, if you're in there, you know, especially if you're a senior decision maker and they're scouting, you know, if you're their scouting director or, you know, somebody else who's heavily involved or, or if, you know, if you're dating more too, I mean, how do you, how do you try to reduce bias in your decision-making in that process? When, I mean, clearly he belongs at least for right now, we've got to play out the college season still and then the high school season. So we'll see how things shake up by the end of the year. But as of right now, he's a legitimate top 10 type of overall pick, especially toward the back of that top 10 um i i think he's a legitimate pick there but how do you try to reduce that obvious bias that comes into your decision making process and yeah, i don't know and just it, try to make the best decision possible for your organizations like just setting aside the exterior factors of oh what are you know what are people in the media or what is our, our fan base going to think about it but just how, how do we eliminate that I mean I, I I I would think and hope that they probably have enough trust and um you know internally to you know to speak honestly about him I don't think that's 
a, a major concern. Uh, I know, I know a lot of those guys have been there together for, for a long time, but still, I mean, you're, you're just, there's going to be some element <laughs> that creeps into, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and your, you really didn't have there. to, you didn't have to address this at all the first time around because Robert enrolled early at school right. and wasn't really a factor in the draft out of high school. He would have been. So th- this is really the first time that group is going to have to really address that. It, like, I'm sure a lot of the, there've been conversations about him playing when he was in high school and I'm sure they've had them since then, but yeah, this is kind of the first time where you're going to have to sit down there and make a decision. And like, even if you have a lot of trust, and even if these people who are making decisions have been around and together for a long time, like, I don't know how you like fully eliminate any sort of bias in those conversations, because still at the end of the day, you're talking about the president of your team, like your boss or your boss's boss, like that's his kid out there on the field. And I, it's gotta be tough to eliminate that bias and, and kudos to the people who are able to just go out there and just do it and say like, this is what I think this is exactly what I think if it was a of no relation to date more like it's the same report because I, I do feel like that you're in a tough position because you you want to be honest and you want to be straightforward but at the same time like it's got to be hard to shake the feeling like yeah this is the president's kid here that I'm watching and I just turned in a a critical report or did I just like exaggerate on all my grades because it's the like and, and all, a lot of this stuff I feel like could be subconscious too like obviously everyone probably want to like him. I mean, you should like him. He's a good player, but Mm -hmm. like, again, like you said, these are biases are biases because they color the way we view the world and we don't recognize them. (laughs) If we did, we, it would be a lot easier to, to reduce them. Yeah. That's a tricky one. I really don't know how, how that's handled. Maybe we'll have to try and, I mean, this is definitely a story of some capacity that we need to pursue throughout the year, but, it's interesting. I mean, Are there any other... I mean, it seems, well, I, I was just, I was going to say like, you know, like I think of like Whit Merrifield, I mean, he's not going to be there forever, but he also seems like he has some similarities, at least on a, a surface level to Whit Merrifield as, as a guy who, you know, makes a lot of contact and, you know, could, could play good defense at, at second base, even, you know, he's not going to be a, probably not going to, like we talked about, going to be like a 25 plus home run hitter. But again, you've had success previously with a guy with that type of profile. And I mean, geez, you got Bobby Witt Jr. coming at, at shortstop probably next year. To that pair him with, duo would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Like I, th- I think it would like, you know, not that you're drafting for need, but just looking at the Royals, where they mm-hmm. are in their, um, you know, in their rebuilding phase and with Bobby Witt Jr. coming up and looking at how awesome that middle infield could potentially be with those two. Uh, like it, it just is a great fit potentially, I think. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And again, it'll be a lot of fun to watch. I mean, maybe, maybe he plays himself too far up the board where he's out of that consideration. Maybe he struggles and, and doesn't make as much sense for that spot, but as of right now, it looks like he is solidly in the mix there. And again, I, I'm glad that uh, it's not something that I would have to deal with personally because I feel like it is very tricky. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have too much more to add other than that. Uh, any other best tools here on the college list that you want to get into before we jump out of here, Ben? Um, I, I actually was like a little concerned with 
how long the pod was going to go today, but I feel like regardless of what we have slated to talk about, we always get into really fun conversations and they last a good while, which is, you know, kind of what we want to do, just sit around here and talk baseball. Um, we I'm had Jace to... Young. We had Jace Young in the, you know, for one of the best mm-hmm. pure hitters in the class. I mean, it's three. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at his brother in Texas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's been pretty good for them. Is that too rich? for him or i mean maybe the orioles take him and cut a deal at one or <laughs> you're talking about draft landing spot yeah just yeah as yeah. far as a like i'm you know we were just talking about you know family mm-hmm. ties with with robert mm-hmm. moore and i just i was i was thinking the same no, thing about that, i think about, that makes perfect sense like he on value i think this range makes sense we still have a club and maybe in six months this conversation won't make sense because these players will maybe play themselves into like some sort of consensus order. But I think all of these top hitters that we're talking about are kind of jumbled in the top six, top seven, top eight spots here. Um, Jung, Young's profile matches what it looks like the Rangers have been doing the last few years. And it's tough to kind of separate what they've done the last two years in the middle of first of the first round versus what they'll do picking number three, where you have, access to more of the highest upside and toolsiest players in the class. So like wouldn't Elijah green make sense for them at three, maybe. And it certainly would make sense for a Texas regime of old. Um, But it does seem like they've also had a few philosophical changes or they've tried to go in a different direction with the players they're targeting. And I do think Jace makes more sense for, for what we've seen them do in recent years for that. And, And on talent, I think he fits there and, I mean, yeah, so it would be a lot of fun to see those two in the same infield for that system because I think he's a guy who, who might be able to move pretty quickly just based on, especially if you're moving him around to, like if he moves to first base, I think he's got the the hitting ability and the power to still profile. I think he can play second base fine, um, but with their infield, you might have to get a little bit flexible with what you're doing with some of these guys, especially when you have Josh looking like a pretty good defensive third baseman. Um, but imagine both the young brothers at the corners in Texas. That would be a lot of fun. I know, like if we had the Seeger brothers playing together at one point, that'd be, <laughs> yeah, sick. yeah. I'd, I'd love to see them play together. And like you said, he does seem like the type of player that the Rangers have been targeting more in recent years in the in the amateur space, and and also some, you know, in in trades as well for for minor league players where. I think back to that Hickory team that they had in low a a while back. And, you know, they would roll guys through there like Lewis Brinson and Joey Gallo and, and, you know, some of the more, you know, some of their other draft picks who've, who've come through there, Bubba Thompson's of the world where, you know, premium athletes and tools, but a lot of contact issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like in more recent years, um, you know, again, whether it's through the draft with a guy like Foscue or trade for somebody like Dustin Harris from mm-hmm. the A's, they're getting more or Evan Carter, um, you know, another draft pick in, in 2020. These these guys who have, um, you know, better contact skills, uh, better strike zone judgment, better plate discipline to, um, you know, to to shift their their mindset that route. But at the same time. You know, obviously we saw him take Jack Leiter last year, but mm-hmm. they're, you know, maybe, maybe the, 
maybe the thought process or or how you how you weight those characteristics is is different when we're talking about a, a top of the draft type of player like maybe Elijah Green is too good to pass up yeah there potentially but yeah I mean I, I think I think some of these more polished hitters um, do make a lot of sense based on what we've seen Texas do and and their priorities um, as far as targeting players for for the last couple of years yeah absolutely Ben do you have a favorite tool not hitting because hitting feels like a cheat code like is there a tool that you just get excited about whether it's like to see on a baseball field or one that you think is undervalued or harder to find, or just one that excites you. Because as we've talked about all these, it's, it's fun talking about the upside of these players and it's fun looking at the best tools and comparing some of the best guys in the class. I mean, I might be just a changeup guy. I'm really, I really have found myself to be a sucker for really good changeups. And maybe part of that is just because of the amateur space, you don't see a ton. And so when you do see a, a really good separator changeup, it pops a little bit more. Um, but do you have a, a specific tool that you really like? I think the, just as far as enjoying to watch a great arm, especially from a catcher or an outfielder. I mean, I, I think one of the most exciting plays in baseball is watching an outfielder gun down a runner at home plate. Um, but I also think that arm strength is probably the most not that i think it's you know super highly prioritized necessarily but it it probably has the greatest gap in terms of uh enjoyment to watch versus actual value mm -hmm. that it provides and it, where sense. it probably gets the most overrated is with catchers because uh, so I think probably especially high school catchers, because I mm -hmm. think it's easy to really dream on a high school catcher who has just a great arm. I mean, like you, if you see a high school catcher with a, uh, a 60 or, or a 70 arm, it's, yeah. it's exciting to watch him throw. And it mm -hmm. really sticks out, especially when you're watching, you know, even other top high school catchers in the country but there's i think there's there's one there's just so much more defensively obviously that goes into catching besides just raw arm strength and and even if a guy does have a you know a quick transfer good release clean mechanically defensively um i i think we can sometimes fall too much in love with uh a catcher's defense and especially just a, if it's the arm that's really ooing and eyeing that everybody's ooing and eyeing over um, when there are more hit risk um, concerns with that player. And, and sometimes we just think, Oh, well, he's a catcher. So he's not going to have to hit that much. Well, you know, he's still going to have to face the same mm -hmm. major league pitching that the shortstop and <laughs> your first baseman are going to have to face. Obviously the offensive bar that he's going to have to, clear to you know be a productive player at that position is lower but you still have to hit major league pitching so um that was a long I way do, of saying your favorite tool is hitting ben i told you no hitting i guess so. <laughs> i mean yeah I, I really had to bring it back to that but i do yeah. love i do really enjoy watching uh especially an outfielder mm -hmm. with a great arm just 
gun down a runner at the plate or throw, you know, throwing out a, a mm-hmm. runner at third base from, from right field with a, a cannon is just one of my favorite plays in baseball. Yeah. I think my favorite in, in terms of like plays that I love watching the most, it's probably just good middle infield defense. I love watching shortstops make diving plays. Mm-hmm. I love like the, the, the turning a double play really well between two fielders at second base is always fun. Like give me all of the, the defensive plays and defensive highlights. It, it's sad that we both are really drawn towards defense and we have fewer balls in play than, than ever. It seems like, but no, they're, they're great to watch. Yeah. Seeing a, a shortstop with just really good hands. Who's light on his feet. Like I've watched Angelson Simmons defensive, like career defensive highlights. One of these YouTube videos, like, at least 10 times just, just to watch it. I do that quite a bit. They're definitely my most popular Instagram videos too, that I post of like Armando Cruz at shortstop or just going down to, especially the Dominican Republic or there's something about the silky smooth movements and the flashy glove work that is just very appealing um, aesthetically. So I don't think it's a hot take. You got to hit yeah, but you still got to hit. Sorry. You got to do the boring stuff too. Um, I think that about does it for today. We don't have questions that we're getting into for the mailbag this time, but as always, send those to Ben Badler on Twitter and Instagram and Carlos A. Colazzo on Twitter, or you can send them to Future Pro Pod on Twitter as well. Um, ben, before we get out of here, anything you want to touch on as we wrap up? Anything you want to plug? Or anything you want to talk about? Do you have any best tools? What's what's your best tool? My best tool? Podcasting, obviously. Yeah, that's pretty good. I was going to just say covering international players too. That seems like a pretty strong tool for you. Separator. Uh, yeah, I've been doing that a little while. So <laughs> <laughs> a little experience there. But yeah, we got yeah. that. Um, you know, we've got got high school underclass rankings updates coming. So uh, with the season start, I want to kick that into gear now. And um, yeah, your your mock draft is up too, or it should be. Uh, yeah, I think it, let me check it right now too, before so. we get off, but I think it is. Yeah, it's on the website. So if you want to read it, you can. And obviously, like, I don't know. I think people listening to this podcast probably will like mock drafts. There's some, obviously it's a mock draft in February. A lot of this is for more like entertainment purposes and as a thought exercise and to think through like how the class is shaping up today. But my goal with the mock drafts is always to provide some sort of value for the reader. Like I'm never going to make a mock draft where I'm just throwing out names. Um, That's just not, I don't, I don't think that is something that I have any interest in doing. And this time it was really fun because I had a a scout in the industry kind of go through the mock with me. We alternated picks talked through our thought process, kind of how the board is developing. And I thought it was really, I learned a lot about it throughout the process and how the class could potentially be shaping up. We talked about a few of these interesting scenarios, like the Robert Moore, uh, Dayton Moore connection at number nine, potentially. Uh, So I think you guys will really take something away from it beyond looking at your favorite team's player and seeing like who he's tied to in February, because every year the, the board will change between now and the draft, which is like six months away, which seems crazy, maybe five months. Um, but yeah, the mock drafts are, are always a lot of fun to do. And that is there now. So you can, you can check that out if you want. Um, yeah. I, I like the way you do it too, where it's, you, you really get 
a good conversation and you get to think about, all right, well, which, which players make sense in this range at this point in time, right? It's obviously a, a snapshot in time because things are going to keep changing throughout the season. And as we get closer to the draft, it gets dialed in with a lot more precision. But if you are a fan of, you know, the Cubs and you, you pick at seven, you know, you're going to have a good idea of which types of players right now to be looking at in, in that range and, and a sense of what types of players the Cubs or, or, you know, any other team for, for that matter, um, you know, have, have typically targeted or, or would be a fit based on the decisions that we've seen come from the organization in, in recent years. So you, you have a, it, it, I think it just helps narrow down some of the players to be looking at and, and focusing on that, that could be available uh, in that range. Um, and then I assume you'll go at least 25 for, for 30 on, on these picks or is that right? You think? If that's the bar we're, we're getting it set at, I, I will not do well here. <laughs> but, but no, I, I think overall it's, it's just, uh, I like the way you do it. It's, it's a really good way just to get a good sense of who, mm. who could be a realistic target or, or which groups of players could be a, a good target in, in this, in that range for each club. And I was uh, looking at the first edition of this mock draft last year. And I think, no, I, I know in that version of the mock draft, we had Ryan Cusick to the Braves in the first version, and, and that actually happened. So sometimes we can just kind of stumble upon the right pick, too. That's always fun. I wonder I wonder what it's going to be like when an international draft comes. I, I guess we'll have to do international mock drafts. You yeah. will. People will be more, like you said, people will be more interested in your mock drafts for an international draft than when you tell them exactly who is signing with their team. <laughs> so if that doesn't say that, something about like the human psyche, then I don't really know what it says, but people love rumor mongering, I guess. That may very well be true. So yeah, check that out. Be on the lookout for Ben's underclass rankings. Um, rate and review the podcast if you have not, and you feel like you want to also last week, I discovered that Spotify has a new rating system, at least on mobile where you can rate podcast, just a star rating. If you want to give us a star rating and you listen on Spotify, that would be great. I, I think that helps us out in some capacity. I don't really know the extent of the algorithm on Spotify or what that does, but just throwing it out there if you want to. And uh, yeah, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for listening. Um, and until next time, for Ben, I'm Carlos. So long, everybody. <laughs>